I was really hoping Blake was going to get up. Um, I am uh, the B or maybe the C team at this point. So uh, David Watson was supposed to be here this morning, but uh, he called me Friday night and said, hey, I hadn't thought about it. There's a couple of better preachers that are out of town right now, so I'm not going to bother them. Uh, but be ready just in case. And so this morning I woke up at 7. You know, I went to bed last night thinking, no big deal. David hasn't called. Uh, this morning at 7, I saw a text from 3 a.m. that said, hey, we're going to the hospital. Um, so they are at the hospital right now. So uh, that's pretty awesome. But I'm up here. Um, so cool for them, but I'm up here. So, so I've put a lot of prep time into this. Uh, and I did about a decade ago when I preached this. So hopefully my memory serves me pretty well this morning. Uh, but we'll find out here in just a few minutes. Uh, and I appreciate the scripture reading, too, which was handed out uh, probably halfway through that last song. So uh, we're, we're kind of running a little behind this morning. So uh, I ask you to just bear with me uh, for a little bit. In fact, David Mast asked me recently, he's like, do you want me to put you down on the preaching schedule? I was like, nope. <laughs> he says, I enjoy teaching class. Preaching's not my thing. Um, so this is God just kind of smiling at me a little bit. You know, the one, one thing that I do think about when I think about, like, what to talk about or what to preach about, uh, one preacher, and I forget who it was, but it said, basically, if, if it's not something that's just blowing up in your heart or exploding in your heart, don't preach it. You know, if it's not something that you aren't really thinking a lot about and it's not something that's on your mind and important to you, don't bother telling other people about it. And so hopefully you'll hear a little bit about that this morning because I want to tell you something that I see in a lot of the things that I'm reading. And still even now, like I said, this was a sermon I did about 10 years ago. Uh, but even now, it's still something that I continue to think about and I'm, I'm continually challenged by. Uh, so hopefully you'll be challenged by it as well. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily want to preach a sermon this morning. I want it to be more of a conversation. You know, I, I want these to be things that you just think about as me just kind of telling you and we're having a little chat about this. And something that is important to me. Uh, and I hope that you'll see that uh, and make it important to you as well. And, you know, I always appreciate Blake's sermons and how he doesn't just remind me how bad I am. Because a lot of times that's what we get out of a lot of sermons, just a reminder of how unworthy we are and, and how we have failed and all of those things. Blake always gives me some practical things to think about, um, some things that I can apply to my life. And so I hope to do the same for you this morning and, and inspire you, maybe even motivate you a little bit this morning to do something uh, instead of just sit there and listen and, and take notes and just think, well, that's, that's a good thought. Uh, but I'm hoping that you'll walk away being inspired to actually do something and maybe make a change in your own life. So I'll give you something hopefully that's actionable and applicable to you uh, to shape your life as a follower of Christ. So that's, that's my prayer this morning. Let me uh, start with my first slide. So this is my son, Reese. Not everybody knows Reese, um, but when Reese was younger, he loved ninjas. Uh, he loved Power Rangers, Cartoon Ninjas, Real ninja, Ninjas, uh, Lego Ninjas, uh, kicking me when I wasn't expecting it. Uh, he loved swords. He loved yelling out, hiya, all the time. You name it, he was enthralled with ninjas. And yes, that is a, a ninja do-rag on his head. But it's all that he could think about. This was all that Reese wanted to be. Uh, he's 18 now, and he doesn't quite wear the same stuff, but um, pretty similar. This is, a, this is a little lady that's joining us this morning. This was Peyton when she was younger. And she spent most of her days and most of Daddy's dollars dressing up like a princess. Uh, in fact, next week she's going to be doing some more dress shopping, which I'm not prepared to talk about, where she's going to dress up like a, a princess as well. Uh, but she would have the tiara, she'd have the shoes, uh, any opportunity she had. Of course, Reese would do that too, but that's a whole different story for another time. Uh, for me growing up, it was Superman. Luckily, I spared you that picture. No cape and tights for you this morning, so um, you're, you're welcome for that. 
Um, but, you know, we all have something that we desire to be and something that every time we thought about, what do you want to be? And we just went through Halloween period where it's like, what do you want to be for Halloween? You'd ask the kids that, and they would always have something in mind, uh, something that they wanted to be like. And we know from the good classes in teaching here that the purpose of the gospel is to make us to look more like Christ, to make us look more like God. Um, and so that's what we want to be. We claim to want to be like Christ. And so when we read about Christ, what images come to your mind? What would you dress up as, I guess is the way I might phrase it. Uh, if, if I were to look at Christ and study Christ and I wanted to be more like him, what does that look like? Uh, what do you want to look like if you want to be like Christ? And I can tell you the more and more I read about Christ and any passages about him and his ministry and what he was doing, the only thing I can think of is compassion. Um, so I don't know exactly how you dress up like that, but we will look at you know what that looks like in our lives as well. Because I want to look like Christ. That's my goal. I want to look like Jesus, and I hope that you do too. So how can we be more compassionate like Christ? And I, again, I hope that this is a lesson that will give you some practical ideas and how we can become more Christ-like uh, with a focus that you know, makes us be more compassionate in, in our hearts as well towards other people. And I do believe it's a responsibility of each and every one of us as Christians to be like Christ, to be compassionate. Uh, and I don't think any of you would deny that. And I would believe we as Christians uh, or as individuals, we're working together in harmony sometimes to have more compassion on those around us. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful goal as well. And I wholeheartedly think we do an excellent job of that and showing compassion towards others. I, I think this church is great at that, uh, especially to those of the household of faith, which I, I think is important. And I think the Bible is very clear about that. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's where our responsibility ends. And I don't believe that, that you do either. So there are at least five different miracles in the New Testament Jesus is compelled to perform that really have a direct motive of compassion. He was moved with compassion. The scriptures will tell you that. Uh, did you know, too, um, the reading that was just done in Luke chapter 4, um, specifically in verses 17 through 19, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and he was handed the book, and he picks up the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. The one time that we see where Jesus read from scripture, this is what he had read, uh, and I appreciate that reading. It makes us think about what was on his heart as well uh, when Christ directly read from, from the Word. You know, one study or experiment done by many seminary students, I think this is an interesting study, was to take their Bibles, and they were told to cut it up. They wanted to see what the Bible would look like if they took out all the verses that dealt with caring for the poor, poverty, wealth, justice, oppression, and the like. And the, in the end, they ended up removing over 2,000 verses from their Bibles. That's about 6% of the Bible, if you just look at it verse by verse. Imagine what your Bible would look like without all of those verses. If you think about 2,000 verses removed from the text that you have in your hands. If you try to cut concern for the poor out of the Bible, I think you cut the heart right out. Uh, concern for those that are oppressed. And I want us to figure how we Christians, God's elect, can take steps to be more like Christ as we consider this, this subject to better, together by being more compassionate towards those who are in the kingdom, but also those who are outside of the kingdom. Because I believe that's the call that we have. So how can we reach out to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed, as Jesus read from Isaiah as well? Our ultimate goal is to lead others to Christ, of course. But I think to lead them to Christ, we have to show them who Christ is. We have to dress up like Christ. We have to show them the compassion that Jesus had as well and what he looks like in and through our lives. Now, that's, that's the only way. We've talked about that even as we look at the different groups and evangelism and members' needs and things like that. We've talked about how to be good evangelists is, is to just live this out. It's not about inviting someone to a corporate worship service like this necessarily. That, that's a good way too. 
But we're going to win others to Christ by the way that we act and by what we look like uh, outside of these walls. And we are called to give this world a glimmer of hope. And there are so many ways that we can do that, so many ways that we can show the world compassion. We are to be witnesses to the world. We are called to be ambassadors to Christ. So I believe that ambassadors for Christ will speak and act and live just like a master, to be full of compassion. I am to be a light for this dark world. I'm to be that city that is set up on the hill that um, cannot be hidden, to bring glory to God. I hope that you uh, see these as references to Bible passages as well. And you think that if we show this dark, miserable world some compassion, that I think that we can accomplish that. Because it's, it really doesn't take much, especially in, in these days and times when this world is so dark and there's so many bad things going on. It doesn't take a whole lot to shine bright in a world like this. And that's what Christians are to do. We are to bring glory to our Father through the way that we act, through the way that we dress up like Christ or act more like him. And I do think that we are called to change the world. And I don't think it's in one huge thing that we're going to do that's going to impact the whole world. I think it's in individual single acts that we do for one another. We are called to be world changers like Christ. And you see that even with Christ, right? You don't see that Christ came to solve poverty for the whole world. Uh, you don't see that Christ came to you know, eliminate all of the evils in the world. Christ and his interactions, one-on-one most of the time, where he would just individually act um, with other people and show them his compassion. And I think that's what we're to do as well. So let's go through just some of the ways that we can show compassion and look at just maybe some of the problems that there are to solve. Uh, maybe some things where we can show kindness to other people, especially around us. And I know this is something that we think about anyway this time of year. This is the time of year when even at work we're compassionate to people. Uh, and we do food drives and we do nice things for the community uh, once a year and then we forget about it until November again next year. Um, but there are some ways that we can even do this for one another and for others that even surround us here. And we've talked about that again even in some of our evangelistic efforts and, and meetings uh, as we look at the community that we serve here. Uh, so what are some of the areas in, in life where people need to feel and see compassion from us? And we'll, go, we'll start with more of a worldwide perspective and then maybe bring it down a little more locally. Uh, but you'll see many of the needs are kind of still the same. Um, people who don't know Jesus, um, you know, that, that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to influence those kind of people. Um, there are a lot of people that still do not know Jesus. Uh, they don't have the, the benefit of a service like this and a family like this that they can turn to. To, to help them with their needs. Now, I'll just mention a few of them here. First of all, there's water. Some people don't have clean water. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine not having clean water? More than 1 billion people lack adequate access to clean drinking water. And an estimated 400 million of those are children. Unsafe water, lack of basic sanitation causes 80% of all sickness and disease and kill more people every year than all forms of violence, including war. 3.4 million people die every year from water-related diseases around the world. And we are told that we are to be just a cup of cold water in his name given. We even sing that from, from time to time. Matthew 10:42, Jesus speaking, says, Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So I should put that verse up there while I was reading. So what about poverty? You know, I don't even understand what this means, or what this even looks like. I don't think a lot of us have seen what real poverty even looks like, even in our city here. I have never witnessed in person people living on garbage dumps, like living there in the garbage dump their whole lives, looking for scraps among the horrible stench of garbage. If you had to decide between more than one pair of shoes to wear this morning, if you drove to services, you're wealthier than more, most of the population of this whole world. 
Nearly half of the world's population, more than 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. And more than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, which is less than $1.25 a day. A quarter of all humans live without electricity, which is just hard to believe, over 1.6 billion people. So Deuteronomy 15, verse 11 says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in the land. What about adoption? There are 132 million orphans worldwide. Uh, it's said that if just 10% of American Christians would adopt, we could provide homes for every child orphaned by the AIDS epidemic. Every day, over almost 6,000 more children in the world become orphans. James 1.27, we just mentioned this in our um, men's study the other night, it says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And then finally, I'll, I'll mention hunger or malnutrition. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that nearly 870 million people, or one in eight people in the world, were suffering from chronic undernourishment this is back in 2010 and 2012. I didn't have time to update stats this morning. Uh, you know that if we shared 2% of the world's grain harvest, we could end hunger and malnutrition. It's kind of a crazy stat to even think about. Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 11, says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them from the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. I'll mention two others, just human trafficking. At least a million children are exploited in sex trade every single year. And that's one of those, does this really happen? Is that one of these, these stats that we just mentioned and, and that's it, we just move on? Or disease, 90 children die of preventable diseases every five minutes. Uh, illnesses like diarrhea and pneumonia. Over 1,000 children will die during this one-hour service from preventable diseases. The list could go on and on forever. Um, and I, and my, my goal is not to make you feel bad about these huge problems in the world. I think that we should. I think that's something that we should address. And I think that's important. But again, I don't think Jesus came to solve these at a worldwide level or a global level. Uh, I, I think that he had a greater mission. But at the same time, there's a lot of verses about this kind of stuff. Uh, he, he mentions these things pretty often. Uh, so I think it's probably something that we should take a second to look at. The problems are great. No, they are not small problems but you got to think about, too, though, the resources are pretty great, too. you got to remember who we serve. Uh, he, is, he is the God that we serve that can handle these kind of things. Um, and I've talked to you about my favorite verse or my favorite phrase before. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, talks about how horrible we were as sinners in the wretched place and, and uh, position that we were in. And then it says, but God. And, and I think about that with this kind of stuff, too. It's like, I can't do a whole lot about that, but God can. Uh, and I can use his resources. Uh, to help me with those kind of things. Think about the story of Esther for uh, just a second. It's kind of a, a crazy book. It's one I, I actually really enjoy reading uh, or looking at and studying. Some have described it as a Spanish soap opera um, on Telemundo with Persian subtitles. I mean, it's kind of, it's just, it's a weird book. I mean, it's got some crazy stuff in there. It really would make a good soap opera if, if you should watch those. Uh, it has it all. You've got powerful, rich, drunken men, beautiful women, corrupt politicians, You've got death on the horizon for this group of people. Uh, Esther, a beautiful Jewish woman. She's married to the powerful Persian king. Uh, Haman, his right-hand man, the Persian king's right-hand man, is evil. Mordecai, that's Esther's cousin-ish, maybe uncle, uh, that cared for her when she was young. 
So Haman tricks uh, the king into a decree to kill all the Jews, but at the same time, no one knows that the king's wife is a Jew as well, is a Jew as well, not even the king. So conversations happen back and forth between Mordecai and Esther, and he tells her, you know, that she is the last hope for her people, for God's people. That's a lot of responsibility on, on this one Jewish woman uh, to some degree. He tells her that if these people are to be spared, that now is the time to act. So Esther chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. says, And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think if you're in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, originally when I was putting this sermon together, I'd intended to talk a lot more about providence. And I think that you'll see some of that as we kind of finish up this morning, but uh, the, the providential side of things. But I, I did change the direction a little bit. Um, but what got us to think of... Think about this for a second. What got us to where we are in our life right now? It's a good decision sometimes. Sometimes it was bad decisions. Sometimes it was speaking up. Sometimes it was being silent. Sometimes it was giving into, into temptations presented to us by Satan. Sometimes it was listening to God. All of these things played a part in where we are right now uh, at such a time as this. Uh, but also providence. I, I do think God plays a, a strong hand in that. The point I want us to get from this story, though, is that maybe... Just maybe we have come to the kingdom at such a time as this, or for such a time as this. Whatever the this is in our lives, and I'm, I'm not trying to prescribe necessarily what that should look like for you, I'm giving you maybe a few examples here. But we're in a situation right now, and we're being called upon to act in whatever situation you're in. We are where we are right now, as the book of Esther might tell us, for such a time as this. But if we don't act, don't be fooled. God will still take care of what God needs to take care of. This isn't on us to solve all these things. It isn't on us to save all of mankind, even though we are told to go out into all of the world. Uh, but God, God's will will still take place. But Mordecai reminds Esther, don't think that you're going to be spared either. If you don't act, if you don't, partake, if you don't partake in this, you may not be spared either. Do you ever think that maybe you could have been born on the other side of the palace walls? Maybe so. You could have been born outside the gate. You could have been that young orphan with AIDS. You could have been a young girl sold into sex slavery. You could have been the young boy who has to care for his six brothers and sisters because your parents were killed by rebels in another country or even in your own country. You could have been the parent who had to give their children up to an orphanage just so that they would be fed. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about those kind of things? Why was I born when I was born where I was born? I think it's for such a time as this. Bono, which I normally don't quote, uh, refers to this as an accident of latitude. I think we think of it that way sometimes, or maybe we just don't even give it enough thought. It's just an accident. You know, just, just happened that way. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. You could have been born into lives of wild, Christ-less desperation. I can tell you, though, I feel like I was born inside the gates. I feel like I was inside the palace walls. I don't know the whys or the hows, but I do know that Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 48, that to whom much is given, from him much will be required. There are a lot of people suffering outside the walls. And we could have been one, but we're not. The reason you are inside the gate could be for such a time as this. So God has brought us a time in history that's more technologically advanced than any generation ever, probably to our downfall. We can communicate, 
communicate across the globe within seconds. We can travel anywhere in the world within 24 hours. We can share the gospel of wealth instantly. We are the wealthiest generation ever. We are the most mobile. We are the most educated generation ever. We are the best resource generation, especially in the history of the church. And our country allows us the freedoms to really do whatever we want. I didn't have to worry about parking here this morning and who was going to confront me. We can do a lot of things. So do you ever think about that as just being a coincidence? Do you ever think that maybe the possibility is that God might have had a hand in some of this? That you are here right now for a specific purpose for such a time as this? We've been given one life to live. And how are we going to know how to use that life? And how will we use that life? And I hope that we'll do it looking like Christ to show compassion on others. You are where you are for such a time as this. Not to gain anything, but to risk everything. I think that's what God has called us to do. You are where you are for such a time as this, not to make an impression, but to make a difference. Because I think a lot of times I think, well, I'm just making an impression. I'm just, I'm trying to live like Christ. People will see that just by the way that I act. Not necessarily the actions that I take, but just I'm a good person. I go to church. I don't say bad words. You know, that's, that's making an impression. But I think that uh, we were called to do a lot more than that. We were called to make a difference. Another quote that I like, God has given us these resources, this education, this money, these abilities for no reason. Uh, God has not given us for no reason. He has not positioned us so favorably so that we might live well and pass money down to our children. Sorry, Peyton. The problem is not one of resources. The problem is one of willingness and action. And you don't have to do it all, but you've got to do something. We've got to do something for someone. Christ did not come again to solve poverty globally or to make make sure every kid was safe or to make sure that there's clean, safe drinking water and places to live. But he still expects us to make a difference where we are, and to show his light, to show his glory and the, the things that we do. You know, we think about the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. And I always look at that story and I'm like, well, God hasn't asked me to give away all that I have. And he hasn't. He hasn't asked us to do that. But he does ask us to use his resources to care for the poor about 2,000 times in the Bible, or in about 2,000 verses. So maybe God is calling us to live them a little more radically than we do. And I, I read a lot of books that, that call to radical action. I won't even mention some of them. Uh, but a lot of the things I read are, are examples of people that have done that. And it seems weird, it seems crazy that people would be willing to just give up this comfortable life that we have inside the palace walls to move outside the palace walls uh, and go and live a life that's pretty radical. Um, but I also read this other book that kind of looks the same way, and that's the Bible. I think the Bible asks us to do the same kind of things. I don't think it's just some crazy literature that man's putting out that asks us to live radically. We're supposed to be pretty different. We're supposed to live pretty radically, especially when it comes to showing compassion to other people. We are called to have a radical belief in our God and in his power and in his gifts and what he can do through us and our, our meager ways and attempts. Acts chapter 13, verse 36 says, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. You know, I really hope that when I'm dead and gone, you'll write this about me. The same exact thing. And I hope that I can write it about you. Have you served your own generation by the will of God? Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. And I do think it's through service like this as well. But in, in the way that we show Christ to others. In the way that we show compassion to one another. Uh, you know, when your grandchildren discover that you lived in a day in which three billion people were desperately poor and a billion were hungry, how will they judge your response? 
we talked about that in uh, even the marriage class, um, just about a lasting legacy and, and a legacy that you'll be remembered for. What, what does that legacy look like? So how can we show the compassion of Christ to so many people in the world? I think we can look at some of these practical examples. But I think about on a less global scale as well, a little more locally, and it's, it's kind of the same picture. Uh, maybe not quite as tragic looking at, as some of those examples that I might have given you. And I've, I've had friends in the past help to show me this on a local level. And, uh, I know Melissa's done a good job of showing me this in her service with the kids. And I know Lindsay and others uh, have done a lot of stuff for um, feeding the homeless. And um, Melissa would go and they would pack backpacks for the kids at the schools that didn't have lunches on the weekends. There's a lot that we can do. Gwinnett County, that's where I, I've always lived since I've been in Georgia, 12.4% of residents live under the poverty level. There's currently no emergency shelter for homeless families in Gwinnett County. And the 2010 census showed that um, Georgia's poverty rate was the third highest in the, in the country, with Gwinnett County having almost 14% of its population living under the poverty level. Um, during the 2010-2011 school year, the Gwinnett County school system accommodated almost 1,700 homeless students. Think about it in Atlanta. 27.7% of people in Atlanta live under the poverty level. It's the poorest city in the U.S. for children. More children in Atlanta live in poverty than in any other city. And for children under age 6, living in female-headed families with no spouse present, the poverty rate is almost 60%. The only words that really matter are the ones that you hear. You know, again, the things that people see me do are, are much more important than the things that I say. I can say things that impress people. But when I do things, when I take action, that will be the words that are actually remembered. God's provision is everywhere. But God's provision many times is us. God has given his disciples and his followers the privilege of distribution of his goods. And I do like to think of it that way because I, I tend to get caught up and look at how much I make, look at what I can do. All I'm doing is taking God's goods um, and distributing those hopefully to others that have need. But God's goods are more than just food, water, and medicine. It's also grace, mercy, love, and compassion. Those, those are the important things that we need to make sure people are getting. But we need to make sure that we can reach them as well. And I threw up a, just a practical solution slide, just kind of a word cloud with some of the things that you can think about. But all these things that just come back to compassion in Christ. Again, these could be something simple that you could do. I'm not saying that you've got to tackle all these. You may not even tackle any of these. But whatever it is, you, you've got to do something. Because we are given a choice, an opportunity to make a big difference during a very challenging time. And just think about, what if we did? What if we actually did something? What if we rocked our world, our, our local world, with just a little bit of hope? Not just around the holidays when we're supposed to, but the rest of the time. What, what if we had compassion on people all of the time and gave them the grace and mercy and love and the hope that they need and something much greater and much better than, than themselves? Like we have, because we have that, and that's that's what we're supposed to be sharing with people. We've got this hope, and not everybody does. There's so many that do not, and so we need to make sure that we share that with them. So, in an effort to do good, we can't get distracted. You know, when we help people, we feed them, we serve them, we can't forget the most important part, and that's the true bread of life. There's something that will definitely fulfill them much better. Filling a belly, eradicating disease won't matter if they live without. I'm not saying that that's the only reason that we help people, but, but that should be a big part. We should be sharing the gospel with them as well. Uh, along with the cups of water, the plates of food, and the, the vials of medicine, we've got, to, we've got to give them that message of sin and hope and the difference in the two and, and what they can receive be, because of Christ. 
that their sins can be forgiven and death has been defeated. People need hope. And it's going to be through us that they see that and that they can experience that. The true feast is with Christ. He is the water we need and the bread that sustains. I'm going to close this morning just by reading Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. There it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them from one another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was a prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We'll have one more song. <laughs>